It's the Persistent and Nasty Podcast at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe 2023 series. The episodes will be released at various different times, so make sure that you have subscribed so you get notified when a new episode has dropped. We have some amazing guests coming up for you and I know that you won't want to miss them. They will be everything from circus performers to theatre makers to singers to spoken word poets and we can't wait to share all of them with you. Remember, if you are taking part in the Edinburgh Festival Fringe or you are just going for a visit, remember your rain jacket, your comfy shoes and a pair of shorts because you never know the weather that you're going to get in Edinburgh. But what you are guaranteed is some incredible pieces of theatre. Enjoy the episode and remember... Stay nasty. Hello you gorgeous lot and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty Podcast Edinburgh Festival Fringe Series 2023. I hope you're all looking after yourselves, being kind to yourself, being kind to yourself? being kind to yourself and each other and if you're at the festival I hope that you're doing really well surviving getting that water hydration into you and uh, please have a vegetable or a piece of fruit at some point. Today Louise and I had our first in-person recording of the Ed Fringe series podcast um, of 2023 with the lovely Lucy Hayes, writer and director of Bitter Lemons. We talk about the inspiration for the show, we talk about its themes, um, how we navigate our way through the business, we talk about Lucy being a young director um, and her experiences and things that she's been told to do and not do. But the big thing I have to say is I was having an absolute nightmare technology-wise um, uh, our first in-person recording and Lucy was an absolute dream about it. Unfortunately, we lost a little bit of recording um, just before uh, you'll hear. Um, we kind of cover throughout the episode everything that we'd said in those first kind of 10 minutes. 10 minutes, can you believe it? I was nearly on the floor crying. I'm saying nearly, I was. Um, but yeah, I just want to say a huge thank you to Lucy for her like absolute understanding and um, just being so lovely in the moment and um, really supportive because I was clearly having one of those days and uh, was also extremely emotional. So <laughs> um, it wasn't the best start technology wise, but it is a brilliant episode and I know that you're all going to thoroughly enjoy it. And you can see Bitter Lemons at Pleasance Courtyard at 2.20pm um, and that is on from now until the 28th of August. Uh, all details for Bitter Lemons are in the show notes of today's episode. If you're enjoying everything that Persistent and Nasty do from our regular podcast programming to our festival programming to the coffee mornings to the blogs which remember are out now and there are some brilliant blogs to read and the links for all of that are in the show notes of today's episode. And if you want to support all that work that we do including the advocacy work that uh, Louise and I do you can do that by becoming a Persistent Pal or a Nasty Hero and the links for that are in the show notes of today's episode as well and if you can't afford to do that which we completely understand you can always give us the price of a cup of tea or a cup of coffee 
or you can shout about us on social media, like, download, review, share the episodes of the podcast. It all makes a huge difference and, uh, and make sure to tag us in all of your posts about it. We love to hear it and we love to see what everybody thinks about us. Um, and it really does make such a huge difference to us. And for those of you who can financially donate to us, we are beyond grateful. And I know I say it every episode, but you have no idea. You keep uh, the podcast going, the coffee mornings going and and you keep the advocacy work going so thank you thank you thank you you can follow us on all social media twitter at persistent nasty instagram at persistent and nasty facebook persistent and nasty check out the website at www.persistentandnasty.co.uk or send us an email to persistentandnasty at gmail.com you can follow Louise and I on social media. Louise is at Ms. Louise Oliver on both Twitter and Instagram. And I am at Elaine Stirrett on Twitter and at Elaine.Stirrett on Instagram and threads. Oh, for today's episode. Hmm. Maybe something citrusy to go with the name Bitter Lemons. Yeah, so maybe like a um, a nice tropical fruit juice or a little soda water and lime. Um or oh a limoncello <laughs> i don't even know if you'll find a limoncello i'm sure you will find a limoncello somewhere uh yeah or maybe a limoncello uh or an orange flavored hot chocolate i think i might be pushing it a little bit now or a coffee or you know you can always just have a good old cup of tea sit back relax and enjoy our fault. No, it totally <laughs> no, is our no, fault. Um, and we've missed out so much, but it's all. But we're going to just pick up from that because, okay. um, Lucy, you were talking about obviously bitter lemons. We'll go back to all of that that you mentioned because Elaine hates technology and she's having a meltdown right now. <laughs> um, but it's all fine. It's all good. We'll breathe through it. Um, can we get you a drink? Because <laughs> I think I know where we're at. Um, but uh, I had just asked you um, about being a director and um, what that brought you to that um and just for a little recap for our listeners uh, you'd obviously said the acting thing and then you had mentioned that that didn't work for you yeah absolutely um I wanted to be an actor for like a super long time um even had a like small stint at drama school as an actor oh really what drama uh, school did you go to uh, <laughs> I won't mention it because I left <laughs> um but yeah basically uh realized that I just really didn't enjoy being told what to do um and sort of always I think you know I want to be kind to the people that I work with but I think in student drama you get you know you get a mix and some people were brilliant and that kind of thing but I realized I guess I had always had my eyes on like other elements that were not acting and I think to be a good actor like it's important that you just sort of stick to your lane a little bit (laughs) and just do that so yeah I think um I think that, yeah, I realised that I was interested in all of that, but like had a kind of resistance to the kind of power that was attached to that and feeling like the only people that I'd seen in those roles were like older men and like always rude. Like the first job I did was a pantomime and I got told that I should shout at people. And I was like... As a director? Yeah, like as if that was like a part of my job. Like one of the guys in it said to me, oh, you do know if you're not doing what you want us to do you can just shout at us like don't be afraid to shout at us and it was so weird because I was like you're sort of trying to help me out you're sort of trying to like endorse something which I think is like 
horrible. Like you should yeah, never shout yeah. at someone. And also like I said to him, like, do you feel like you want me to shout at you? Like, or do you feel like it's not working? And he was like, oh no, no, I'm just saying like in case you're scared. And I was like, I just feel like I don't need to shout at you. Like yeah. I'm not scared. <laughs> I'm not scared. Are you scared? Yeah. Like, do you have some unresolved trauma that we need to address? Yeah, maybe like, the light's been true to that. Yeah, maybe it was a kink. Well, yeah, 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 he should yeah. give it himself. It's yeah. <laughs> so telling that the actors are like, no, you can abuse us. Yeah. yeah. If you're not abusing us, maybe you're not doing it right. Like, babe, no, that's not, okay. No. <laughs> Yeah, it was such a strange thing because he sort of took me to the side and was sort of like, oh, hey, I just want to let you know. like, And I was like, oh, oh wow. I really don't know how to receive this, but I think I'm not going to shout at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's how I'm going to approach that. Yeah. Like, off you pop, I'm not going to yell. Like, yeah. And you were also that's saying that, yeah, you were also saying that you, um, when you were an actor, you found it difficult to... Uh, been told what to do yeah and I think so many of us probably really relate to that and I think there's a thing like because obviously you're saying there about directors being older white males Mm -hmm. um that I think when you're a woman as well it's like I don't need that in my face like I get enough of that in actual life in (laughs) my face yeah at my job at my job Yeah. (laughs) yeah yeah and this vocation that's already like incredibly tough and puts me in a vulnerable position but sure yeah shout at me that's fine yeah and I think when you like our whole concept of power is so shaped around the people that we've seen in positions of power and so I think it's like that thing of like when you think about you know stepping into a position of power and I'm doing that inverted commas because I sort of believe power is a bit of a rubbish thing anyway (laughs) but like the the way that people like feel like they have to adopt like these 10 like you know shouting at someone or like these things which they think are symbols of power you know and like how resistant we are to like you know I'm always I guess cautious about subscribing to like masculine and feminine ideals but I think that like there's a sort of feminine idea of power which is like much more collaborative much more nurturing and like definitely not weaker (laughs) yeah but like you know I think it's so easy when you step into a position of power to like automatically kind of like almost like ape the people that you've seen in those roles before and then feel like you're not doing it right like I was doing exactly what I thought I felt was natural but I was told that I needed to shout at someone in order to be like respected I don't know like yeah it's just bizarre how like people expect like you know how have we come to be a society where people now expect that from you know people that are above them so um have you always wanted to be a director well, <laughs> I think since then, yeah, I feel like after I did my first thing at university, I was kind of like, there's a brief period where I was like, okay, I think I'm done with this. And then my cast came up to me and they were like, we really enjoyed working with you. Like, you know, like, let, let nice us know. What you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were like, let us know what you want to do again. And I was like, oh, I didn't really feel like I have any ideas. Like I felt like I had, I was surrounded by all these people that were like, yeah, I read like Pinter when I was like seven and I've always wanted to put this Pinter play on. And I was like, I was like watching Disney at seven, you know, like I was not. I mean, who's reading Pinter at seven? Well, they were. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were watching Disney at seven yeah. too. So no, they were like, oh, well, just find a play that you want to put on. Like you don't have to have like, you know, harbored it for years and years and years. And then I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> And then I think I sort of found something and I was like, oh, maybe I could do this, like, sort of, you know, yeah, we could yeah. do this together, I think. And then I think after that, I was like, oh, yeah, no, I like this and this this works for me. And I've kind of found my groove with it, I think. Yeah. 
I'd love you to kind of repeat what you said to us about coming to terms with (laughs) (laughs) well I was just saying that like I think yeah slowly stepped into the role of the director because I feel like directors have like a really particular smell (laughs) and you can like sense them a mile off sometimes and like I just I don't know I feel like sometimes when someone says they're director like everyone else like takes a breath in (laughs) so I'm just like never want to do that and it's interesting like I feel like I'd found a point with it but since I started writing I actually much more introduce myself as a writer now Oh, really? Before yeah. you did Yeah, director? yeah, And then with this show particularly, people are like, oh, what's your involvement? And I'm like, oh, I wrote it. And then if it, I, I, I don't say, oh, I wrote and directed it. So I feel like that just makes me sound like <laughs> terrible. <laughs> so I say, oh, I wrote it. And then they go, oh, great. And then like a couple of minutes later, they're like, oh, did you direct it as well? Who directed it? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, no, that was me. And it's sort of like, I'm like uh, hiding my cards a little bit. But then I'm also like so strong to come across and be like, everything you know written and directed like it just yeah I just feel like I want to sort of like see I want you to do it yeah leads and everybody else if that if they feel that strong that's on them yeah but it's such it, but, well, I, I, but it's that thing that says so much yeah so we play mm, all the time yeah right? for sure and poor technology field as you said <laughs> Honestly, I wanted to cry today, but we're good. Thank you for being so understanding. We're on a roll now. You said something really beautiful about how you, when you first started, you were like, Elaine, if you're checking that, it's not recording. No, it is recording. I just keep checking it every so often. Welcome to the first one of the season, guys. Um, So you said something really beautiful about how when you first started out, you were like, you were reluctant to say, I am the director of this play and therefore I am leading it and it's my piece but rather this play that we're all putting on and I thought that was really gorgeous because I think actually that is really common with mm-hmm. women who are in any form of leadership role in the arts whether you're a producer or a director like I, I've inhabited a lot of those roles myself over the years and how I started was just doing that exact thing like I want to make work I wanted to be an actor but I realized that in order to do that I would need to put on my own thing and it was very much like we are doing this together and it just feels like it's very natural for women particularly women of our generation to, to approach yeah. it like that yeah um and I do wonder if that is instinctively a reaction against that like white male auteur who mm. you know gets attention by shouting I don't know if that's just ingrained in us yeah. to go, and take a step back from that but I, I that mean really yeah I think we don't really understand or we're coming to terms with how much of the way the industry was set up like the director was a role that was like normally the leading actor you know like I think we don't we're sort of we've inherited so much in terms of those ways of making work those power structures that like we just kind of replicate and like I think it's it's great that you know everyone has a a way that feels natural to them of doing things because that means that the work is going to represent them and like we purposely chose like a whole female non-binary team because I was like the plays about you know specifically like people with uterus related issues so I was like just feels like an opportunity to kind of create a space outside of that as well which can replicate like what's going on in the show and not to say like you know I do know completely brilliant men that work in this industry yeah yeah and I think that's something we're probably quite guilty of too and I think all of us that are trying to kind of make that stand are like we kind of go well, oh there are amazing guys and I think we all just kind of need to go do you know what you 
the amazing guys out there should know that mm. we shouldn't need to remind you that you're amazing and we should just go this is actually what is happening for the rest of the time yeah so um yes you those of you good ones out there you're great thank you for being great thank you. Um, and we know you're not listening even how good you are you're not listening so it's fine <laughs> they should be listening they should be but they're not but they're not yeah um, and so on the writing side of things like um chat to me about that like chat what was it that first drew you to writing I think I not just me by the way you can chat to Louise yeah. <laughs> um so I think part of doing a directing MA is that you get asked quite a lot like what your voice is and what your brand and identity is in a way that like when I was at university and I was just putting anything on I was like doesn't really matter I'm just experimenting and I we had to like do a final piece uh, when we graduated and I I was like looking for plays that I wanted to do for so long and there were so many brilliant plays out there but it was just that kind of meeting point of I want to bring something to what this is saying and I want to say what this is saying like that whole ne- sort of negotiation and I just sort of was getting to a point where I was like oh I'm realizing I have quite a specific like artistic taste and quite a specific political point as well and I was sort of like well instead of sort of penalizing plays because I'm like oh that's not about that I don't yeah. I was like why don't I just try and kind of put pen to paper and like do it and I think um yeah I was I'm part of a writing group and we had Simon Stevens the writer come in and he and and I was asking about voice and everything because I'm now thinking about my next play and I'm like what is my voice you know and he was like I don't think that's helpful to think about I think you just need to write the plays you want to see um Mm. and that you don't think exist yet and and that's your voice you know like that's as kind of simple as it is and I think that that's sort of yeah where it started for me and I've had a sort of patchy relationship with it as I've kind of gone through the directing because obviously that's a whole networking you've got to navigate and then I was like right and now I'm going to try and do it from a writing perspective like you know that's no easier not at all and so I've sort of gone like maybe I'm a writer maybe I'm a director like maybe I can't do both that kind of flip-flopping um and yeah just before I wrote this play I was like I don't think I'm going to write anymore because I'm getting work as a director and it just feels hard to kind of be constantly being rejected from things um but then with this it was very much like there's not a play that exists that fulfills all these things and so I'm just gonna just go you know and and that is kind of all I I, that's what I try and hold on to I think when did you start writing this play I started writing it when I came back from the fringe last year last year yeah Yeah. I had two weeks off and I just sat down at my computer and I just went you know was that after your 45 degree heat in France yeah 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 yeah. which we did touch on (laughs) we did touch on I'm hoping that somewhere it's somewhere in my (laughs) somewhere. yeah yeah, so So that feels like a good segue into telling us about the play yeah bitter lemons is that right? Bitter yeah, Bitter Lemons. Yeah. It was originally called Lemons, but apparently there's a play called Lemons. <laughs> yeah. And I just yeah. had like one too many people say, oh, is it that play for me to go? It's worth changing. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be flyering. Then people being like, oh yeah, I've seen this one in the West End. And I'm like, like, no. No, you haven't. You haven't. Yeah. It's not that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's called Bitter Lemons. Um, it's, like two intersecting monologues initially one of them follows a um, investment banker and kind of explores like I guess like corporate hierarchies and the kind of platforming and tokenism that goes on in that industry and the other one follows a female goalkeeper who's just been promoted to be her club's number one goalie and is kind of like 
you know, trying to capitalize on both that opportunity, but also like all the hype around the women's game at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they both unexpectedly fall pregnant. Um, and then the play, which is kind of a spoiler, but also like the main theme of the play is about both of them navigating experiences of abortion. Um, so yeah, I mean, that came quite directly out of Roe v. Wade last year and like having a lot of my friends like go through abortions in that same month and just feeling like the political discourse around abortion is so removed from like the everyday reality of like, you know, people who go through abortions and what they kind of experience. So I just wanted to write something that felt like it, I sort of see it as like a kind of second coming of age story in the sense that it's these women that have like inherited these like masculine industries all of these like ideas and like internalized like their ambition and all of that kind of stuff and then they fall pregnant and it's kind of a moment where you know their experiences of abortion doesn't define them but like it's part of this kind of coming to terms with all of the things that they've inherited and and the kind of choices that they've made up to their point that point um so yeah it's kind of just trying to show it as like a very a very real and like embodied experience that they both go through but like one that doesn't you know define them or make them a political headline in the way that like you know they would be if they live if we lived in a different country I mean yeah (laughs) yeah it's just there's there's so much in that conversation right and it's the it's these points that we're at in time we're at as a woman, I'm kind of like, how are we having these conversations again? Why are we not just allowing people to have autonomy over their own body and allowing people to move through the world the way they choose to do? Um, and I, I wonder if there's like what the reaction has been, like any previous uh, showings before you came up here that you've done or if you've let people read it. What's the kind of feeling that's come back to you from it? Well, I've had a lot of like very surprising but kind of lovely strangers that have kind of come up and told me about their abortions or their experience with fertility. Like there's this sort of bit of a mention of like a kind of infertility miscarriage journey and lots of people have come and said like, oh, the passing of the baby, like I really, that felt like, you know, and that's lovely because in some ways like, the play is for them because one in three people with the uterus has, have had abortions in their lifetime, which is a, like an astonishing number when you think about like the way we sort of talk about it as this kind of hidden secret. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think that that's been like really important. And I think that like shame and silence is a political tool. So I think that it's really important that like, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't had an ex- abortion, like, personally, but, like, I don't know if I would go up to a stranger and be like, oh, I've had one, thank you, you know, for writing about it. So I feel like that's an amazing bravery from those people. And, um, yeah, I think that's sort of the most important part of it. And, and I think men have enjoyed it as well. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't really asked them. <laughs> um, although I actually did hear a man recommending it um, earlier to someone else, and I kn- knew neither of them, so I thought... Okay. okay. Well, that's a lovely fringe moment. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. a really lovely And I almost moment. turned around and sort of said hello, but then I was like, that's a bit weird, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I'm wait. I was like, I'm just going to wait for my pan of chocolate instead with my head down. <laughs> <laughs> that is a nice, yeah. That yeah. is a nice moment. And how, um, for your two, obviously it's really interesting as well that you've picked like two women in really different fields as well, which I think is <clears throat> so important. So like obviously the finance, both, 
of a high level mm. and the, like the pressures that come with that and the expectations um and just you know you talk you touched on the fact about the women's game starting to move much further forward um football wise uh and I think there's something really fascinating about that about feeling like you're a trailblazer and how do you then manage everything else so I just wonder about kind of how that might have it kind of affected that character yeah for sure I mean I think that in like this particular instance like I was fascinated about how like you know on a bigger platform the women's game is now but like I was listening to uh women's hour love that show (laughs) a couple of weeks ago and they had someone on there that was like um you know, representative of the England team. And they said for the Women's World Cup, which is obviously now on, they hadn't even decided like what channel it was going to be shown on. (laughs) But like the Men's Cup in 2026 has already been signed. Yeah. And so like they can't get sponsors on because sponsors don't know if they're going to be on like something with other adverts like ITV or like, you know, what kind of coverage they're going to get. So it just feels like all of the people that are in the England team that are in the Women's Super League, like they've got this platform and this exposure now, but like there's that imbalance of resources to go around it. And like, you know, the men's, you know, on my Twitter at the minute, like there's so many, I think it's like transfer season. With yeah. the, and they're going, you know, 75 million. Da, da, da. The average salary for like a female football player is like 20 to 30 grand, yeah. you know? And I think it's like low, it's normally low twenties as well. And so it's just, I think, the imbalance in terms of like, you know, yes, we're talking about equality in terms of audience views and that's amazing. And in terms of quality of game playing and that kind of thing. But like in terms of the resources that are surrounding it, like it's just not equitable at the yeah. minute. And so you're asking people to do twice as much with half as less. Um, and like, you know, then there's the attitude that women should be grateful that they've even yeah, got to this point, told, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> when you said when you said those numbers, I was just like, I was ready to tip the table. Like, Fuck it out! <laughs> Seventy-five million versus twenty grand in this economy, right? <laughs> Who do I need to speak to? Yeah. <laughs> I need to speak to your manager. <laughs> Outrageous! And I love that you picked that though, because then you pick someone in finance as well, where the money levels are so much bigger, mm. and there's. Thank you. I hadn't even thought of that, but I said, because mm, I was like, oh, yeah, that, was- <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds good. Which is nasty. Enlightening artists about their own work. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just making up for the shit technology moment. That's what's happening. And uh, yeah, no, but it is like, I think, like, when it, we were reading, obviously, your press release and everything for the show, that was the one thing that kind of really jumped out for me about how there's a pressure on women to be in a career that they choose to be in and then you surround all the baby stuff with, right? Um, and that, that goes for all of us that have got uterus. Like, you know, you're moving through the world in a different way anyway. But then you place two people in a similar situation but are in very different financial positions in their life and how that then impacts all of the decisions that you make on top of the decision to have a termination. Like, because... There's so many other things that come into play with that. Because on 20 to 30 grand a year and you're about to have a baby and then your physical body is then mm. damaged, like, you know, can, can in a cost of living crisis, how do we manage? But somebody who's maybe on the top echelons in finance. Yeah, and I think I sort of lent into that by, you know, trying to present someone that was like in this very physical 
sort of more financially precarious position with the character that's in this finance and I gave her like a boyfriend and like you know a sort of house and like all of the physical infrastructure that's like necessary to kind of bring life into the world to kind of show those contrasts because um you know I think there's a million and one good reasons to choose a termination but like I think there's you know when we talk about the people that we're like oh we accept and I said that in inverted commas like that it's okay for them to have it like you talk about people who are not in a kind of financial position or a kind of you know single or like that kind of thing but I thought it was really important to kind of say that every reason that you make that choice is valid yeah um and that like you know just because you can financially support a child or you have a partner like that doesn't mean that it's still you you have to you have any more responsibility within that than you would if you were in a different position yeah Yeah, absolutely um so what can people expect from better lemons well uh I think it's funnier than it sounds. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I think, yeah, hopefully like a laugh. Um, right. Yeah, um, I think like we're trying to go with something kind of that formally is quite different in mm-hmm. the sense of like we're telling two stories about one story. You know, we're showing two different angles on this one experience and the kind of ways that we set the characters up and then kind of shift them as they both go through this experience and start to intersect them like I hope is um like interesting for an audience Mm -hmm. to watch um and yeah you can sort of like expect uh to hear about sort of little moments of like all of the things that we just spoke about what I think I was most interested in is like peppering in little microaggressions with this umbrella of like the kind of macroaggression of you know our political system and the patriarchy (laughs) um so yeah I think you know hopefully little instances of little moments that like everyone can relate to like yeah there's a colleague in um the finance storyline and my mum came to sit yesterday and she went oh I know a Gary (laughs) yeah and then my producer went everyone knows a Gary (laughs) so I think there's that kind of relatability in terms of those people that kind of crop up and you know we as women go like they're so annoying but like there's nothing I can do about it but they Mm. still affect me like Mm. so yeah hopefully a kind of balance of that kind of incredibly relatable moments to where we then go with the story yeah and I think that's that's exactly how you get an audience on board right and it's like one of those tricks as a writer that you use of those relatable characters and moments to then really say what it is that you're wanting to say and what you're uh, you're wanting to do with your show um louise has just come back from the toilet sorry i couldn't wait any longer it's all right don't worry um i thought i did it so subtly and then elaine just exposed me sorry (laughs) (laughs) i was like uh, i was also wondering people would be like where's louise she's not laughing The reason just thought this bit was really unfunny. She was not impressed. She was yeah. really finding it funny, and then those last few. Yeah. She, went to, she went to go find whoever's in charge of signing the yeah. words. She was on the phone making things happen as always. Did you get any anything back? Is it all better now? It's all better now. I think yeah. So, yeah, Yay. Honestly. Yeah. Thank the Lord. <laughs> yeah. So we, just like what it is that you do as a writer and how you craft that, I think is really. Uh, important and like it's just even that little nugget for people listening of if they're like thinking about writing will be really helpful like you know to make those um 
those little moments for people so they go oh, I know that person and then they're listening to everything else is great and um, remind everybody or actually I don't even think we've said it yet and um, where they can see uh bitter lemons what time where are we on we're on at pleasance times yeah so I'm gonna read my pass because I always get this wrong <laughs> so we're on at 220 in Pleasance Courtyard, in Pleasance Beneath, um, every single day of the Fringe, apart from the 16th. So we're really here. You are here. (laughs) We're really out here. here. Yeah. Um, And then if you're Bristol-based, we're at Bristol Vic, the 5th to the 9th of September. Oh, great. At 8pm. But yeah, come come to the Fringe because that's, that's, you know, the spirit of the Fringe. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And we will share all the information in the show notes of today's episode for Bitter Lemons. Um, If you could sum the play up in five words, what would you be? Well, I'd say lemons, 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 but that's just another place, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> um, gosh, I would say um, I'm trying to like not, I'm trying not to undersell myself here because my instinct is to sort of like brush this off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That is really yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm going to sort of do a mix of things I hope it to be and things yeah. people have told me it is. Um, so... I think fast-paced, powerful, funny, unexpected, and bitter. (laughs) I don't really know what I mean by that, but I'm hoping... I kind of feel like I do. Yeah, I love that. Love that. (laughs) Well, I've got the bitter taste in my mouth, but also there's something about bitter that makes me feel invigorated. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I definitely feel like that's the kind of hope to kind of come out and it like it's like it wakes you up. Yeah, yeah. Thank you again. (laughs) You're more than welcome. I'll slip you five pounds for me. Thank you. Thank you. I'm gonna let Louise ask her final question. Yeah. So our final question is a question that we ask all our guests. If you listen to the other podcast, you might know what it is. So it's about our name, Persistent and Nasty. And the reason why we chose that is a very tongue-in-cheek reclamation kind of situation. It's referencing two cultural moments. The nevertheless, she persisted with Elizabeth Warren and the whole nasty women movement on Twitter um, during the rather explosive 2016 um, <laughs> presidential campaign. So 2017, something like that. Um, yeah. So when you hear those two words together, when you saw it written down, when you became aware of us, persistent and nasty, what did that make you think? How did it make you feel? What does persistent and nasty mean to you? Well, it's interesting that you say that because even though I hadn't like fully gone, like put the dots together in terms of that campaign, like I felt like I instantly knew that it was like a feminist podcast, (laughs) (laughs) which is so fascinating, right? Because I was like, there's no other information that surrounds that. Um, So like, yeah, that's something that I've only just clocked now. And maybe it's that kind of me bringing in the thoughts of that Twitter campaign. Um, but yeah, I think persistent to me feels like a very political word because it's like what we all have to do to make political change, right? It's just yeah. keep going and kind of keep reminding until we're kind of like exhausted and then we go again, you know? Um, and I think nasty is a very political world as well because I feel like it more than often you know just is used to describe women um and it's got such a like when you say it like it's quite persistent and nasty it's like very strong in the mouth isn't it um so yeah I think that um I think that nasty is one of those words that like 
again, is quite loaded and like quite sort of exclusively to women in in a kind of slightly unfair way. So I feel like they're up for reclaiming. Um, and I think that persistence and nastiness is, you know, like Elizabeth Warren proved, it's either put on you or it's a necessary way to like move in this world. Gorgeous. I can really tell she's right. <laughs> I was like, I need to do your podcast name justice. I really felt a responsibility there. I was like, I, I was like, I am here for it. I was yeah, like, it was, it was great. And you definitely really did. Um, Lucy, thank you so much for coming and chatting with both of us today. Rachel Lemons is on at Pleasance Courtyard, Pleasance Beneath. Yeah. You done better than I. Uh, 220. 220. Yeah. Every day, apart from the 16th. Um, and again, all uh, details for that are in today's show notes of this episode. Um, just thank you so much. Thank you for um, putting up with uh, me having a technology meltdown. <laughs> Not at all. Um, my cheeks are just slowly coming down from the blood that oh. like, drains to them or gone into them. Um, but Lucy, thank you so much. Thank and you really hope you have a great run and yeah. enjoy every Sounds minute great. of the festival. Um, and until next time, lovely listeners, stay, stay nasty. nasty.